0: Good afternoon, this is Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music, and I want to welcome you to this very special show today. First of all, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in with my interview last week with internationally acclaimed concert organist Diane Bish. That interview with Diane Bish so far is my top number one interview out of all of the interviews that I've done on Blog Talk Radio, so I certainly want to thank you. Now let's talk about today's show. Today is a very special show because we're kind of pushing the envelope just a little bit. We're actually going to go into the area of jazz. Named the Kennedy Center's Artistic Advisor for Jazz on November 29, 2011, jazz pianist Jason Moran has proven more than his brilliance as a performer since his formidable emergence on the music scene in the late 90s. The Blue Note Records recording artist has established himself as a risk taker and innovator of new directions for jazz as a whole. In almost every category that matters improvisation, composition, group concept, repertoire, technique, and experimentation, Varan and his group, The Bandwagon, with bassist Taurus Metin and drummer Nasheed Waits, have challenged the status quo and earned their reputation as a future of jazz without further ado i want to welcome to the show today jason moran good afternoon sir
1: good afternoon it's a pleasure to be here
0: oh man thank you so much it's quite an honor to have you on today now let's just get right to it talk to me about your recent appointment at the kennedy center as the artistic advisor for jazz first of all congratulations
1: all Right. this is thank you it's it's, it's quite amazing um in all of my years as a performer, I never thought I would uh, be put in a position where I could curate performances for a, 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 the national, <laughs> the nation's performing arts institution in Washington, D.C. So this is quite an honor, and it's also an honor to follow in the footsteps of my predecessor and also a, a mentor and pianist and himself, Dr. Billy Taylor, mm-hmm. who is kind of also responsible for representing jazz and kind of Talking to America about jazz, whether it was on CBS Sunday Morning, or his own uh, creation, this uh, organization called Jazzmobile, which puts jazz in the communities throughout New York. Um, so he's quite a, a figure to follow, and um, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of tour territory to tread. Mm.
0: Now, Billy Taylor was a name that I heard all throughout my undergraduate study at Virginia State University because Billy Taylor mm. is one of our most famous alumni. So that's right. that was a Yeah, that was a special name. Now, that's a big title, adva- Advisor for Jazz at the Kennedy Center. How much time are you required to actually be at the center as opposed to all of your performance engagements?
1: Well, what we've tried to do is, is figure out a schedule where I would at least um, be at the center once a month, um whether it 's for meetings or for performances um and also to see the other performances I mean the Kennedy Center on one level has a has a performance every day um a free performance every day at six o 'clock uh, three hundred sixty five days a year I mean just to kind of to experience uh what the Kennedy Center has to offer, I have to be down there more um so that 's what that 's what my goal is i mean and i 'm also throughout this season, which starts in the in October, I'll be appearing, I think, four or five times, um, and also be doing some special education things for students. Uh, and it's, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot going on. And so I'll be there. You know, it's like I'm a, I'm still a resident of New York, but uh, I'll be in D.C. quite a bit. <laughs>
0: oh wow, that's amazing! Make sure that we spread the word about all those performances. Now right. you were talking about education, and it always makes me really start talking about the youth. When did you get the, the music book? When did you
1: catch the music book? Talk to me about that. Well, my parents were parents I grew up in Houston, Texas, and they were middle class African Americans and, and what they did is they would always take us to see, you know, whether it was Alvin Ailey was coming to town, okay, we'll see that. Or there was a special exhibition at a museum of somebody we thought we uh they thought we should see, we should we would go see that. Uh a painter John Biggers was kind of living in Texas at the time. Or if like Andre Watts was playing with an orchestra, we would always go see Andre Watts play. Um and so they kind of kept that that um that arts bug within us as children, like kind of they kept it in our diet. Just as much as golf or basketball or tennis or whatever, any sport, they would also keep the arts in mind for us. And they weren't artists, but they were appreciators of the forms. And uh at age six they put me in piano classes. Both of my brothers, I'm I'm a the middle son of three boys, and you know keeping African American boys out of trouble is a is a difficult task and my right. parents decided through through music and through a lot of activities that they would kind of keep us off of the streets in Houston and kind of into these programs or into these activities uh and to a degree, well, yeah, it worked totally, and we're we've all made it out of our uh statistic stage, <laughs> but um it's um So that's when I caught the bug. I was age six, and through age six to age 13, I was doing Suzuki piano. And I thought, you know, this is interesting. And I kind of did it as a chore. And I kind of recognized that I was able to do it easily enough, but I never really wanted to put any energy into it. But at age 13, I heard Thelonious Monk, one of the greatest pianists. Well, for me, he's the greatest pianist in the world. And I heard him playing a solo rendition of a piece of his called Round Midnight. And from really from that point on, it was clear that that was who I wanted to be. I wanted to be like him. Um, I emulated him. I bought all of the records I could with my chore money. And uh, and from that point on, I was bit by the bug of jazz and by the bug of piano.
0: Wow, you hit two points that I want to kind of dig into. First of all, you talked about Monk. So that takes me right to my next point. Tell us a little bit about... Uh, the commission that you received with with your project In My Mind Monk at Town Hall in 1959?
1: Well, that was a commission from four performing arts organizations in America, which were Duke University, which was kind of the major proponent of it, uh, San Francisco Jazz Festival, Chicago Symphony Center, and the Washington Performing Arts Society. Um, And what they did was they threw into a pool to help me create this work, which was looked at a recording of Polonius Monks called Uh, Thelonious Monk at Town Hall uh, it was recorded in 1959 this was also Monk's first um, recording with a larger ensemble than a quartet it had 10 people on it uh, and he was also, this was his first return to New York as a performer after having his cabaret card taken away from him back in those days he had to have this card to play anywhere in the city so he was returning to the city so it was a big ordeal Um, and so my commission was to look at what i found through the jazz loft archives um i found they found these tapes of thelonious monk actually rehearsing all of this music now what you have to think about how amazing this is to find is because there are no there are no recordings of mozart rehearsing his music <laughs> you know there are no recordings of beethoven rehearsing or creating or in the process but here is literally a tapes and hours and hours of tape of thelonious monk in his process of creating the music for this concert, you know, with the arranger, and uh, so what I aim to do is to ex- to explode this concert rather than to just look at the repertoire, but to really dive deep inside it. So we, at one level, we look at how Dewey Monk created this music through this process of of playing these audio tapes during the performance, but also I go way back into his great grandparents' history as slaves in in North Carolina which is where they got the last name Monk, as everyone knows it. Your slave name becomes the name that then go, follows you through history. So Balonius Monk, as cool as it sounds, is also still a vestige of of of, of America's slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do all this, we explode the music, and while the music is playing, I work with a video artist named David Dimpywolf, and we created you know a lot of video that just kind of accompanies each piece. So you really kind of get, Inside, what the piece represents for me uh, personally, since Thelonious Monk is my hero, but also what it meant for Thelonious as as a process of an evolving musician.
0: Well, I hope to see that because multimedia presentations that involve music are always so engaging, and and it's always an opportunity to bring people in who might not just sit down and listen to a conventional jazz or classical concert with the media, so that that is powerful, and I hope to get the chance to see that myself. Now, let's go back a little bit further in your previous statement. You had mentioned Andre Watts. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who um, are trying to pursue either jazz or classical, but just talk to us about how you use the classical training um uh, to to basically accent what you do as a jazz musician
1: well <clears throat> for, you know training is training you know time on the instrument is time on the instrument you can never get around having to spend time uh studying the craft of just what it is technique wise and you know my first piano teacher her name was yelena kernets uh she was a recent you know uh immigrant from russia and she um was responsible for really ingraining this kind of technique that I still use today, which is, you know, your curved fingers and making sure they aren't flat and knowing how to pull tone out of the instrument. And these things are the things that um, that stay with me the longest. So every time I return to Houston to play a concert, she's in the audience, and I can still see her, you know, uh, examining my technique. Um, so, you know, that's how it starts, you know. But also the, the bigger thing that I learned maybe while I, when I got to Manhattan School of Music was how to listen and how to learn repertoire. Um, so when I got to up to New York was finally when I was able to hear Debussy and Ravel and and uh, Chopin and Beethoven like and hear them not as a young kid but kind of as a young adult. And those songs kind of take on different meaning. Bach takes on different meaning um, as an older uh, musician. And so then how to dive into repertoire. Um, And so I still use that that way of diving into repertoire today. I mean, the most obvious point for me as a reference is my wife, Alicia Hall-Moran, who I met at Manhattan School of Music, she has been a big proponent of having me, like, really look at leader. You know, like, so earlier in one of my solo piano CDs, I recorded a piece from Schumann's Song Cycle, um, I'll find a book, and, you know, like, so she had me, like, think about these pieces as just as important as Thelonious Monk, so I have to really consider Schumann, um, and so she's been paving the way for me in that way.
0: That's amazing, and, and also congratulations to your wife, who's, as if I'm not mistaken, has she been um, on Broadway in Poor game
1: Cur- yes, currently yes, she's uh, on Broadway in Port Game Bess* and is Audrey McDonald's understudy and performs every Wednesday night uh, as Bess. She's uh, yeah, she's quite. A, um, my wife is quite. You know, she's as crazy as I am artistically. <laughs> you, look,
0: you see how I got that shawl in there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: appreciate that. <laughs> of course,
0: of course. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I want to. Uh, Go back, I see that you have a wonderful uh performance coming up uh after this weekend on uh july twenty eighth uh with mm-hmm. Michelle and Cello. Can you talk to us about that
1: well yes, I can i mean michelle is a is a fantastic bassist and composer and and vocalist and i mean I've been a long been a fan of her since I was in high school and and I was approached by the organization harlem stage um and they present many concerts up in Harlem uh and they have for 30 years and they commissioned me to make a piece of uh, about Fats Waller so in the same way that I addressed Thelonious Monk now I'm addressing Fats Waller but I'm addressing Fats Waller as a Harlem native as a uh, as a pianist and as a composer and also as a as a musician that likes to get the party started you know uh he likes to have people dancing so we created the Fats Waller dance party as a way to engage an audience that wants to dance you know um Mm -hmm. i find it therapeutic to have to move your body to music um and not only do i but so do cultures all around the world you know the just the activity of moving while you know while listening is uh it can heal a lot of pain um so we created this fat swallow party that is uh it's free to the public on saturday and it's uh uptown in harlem and um it's um it's a wonderful event, you know, filled with uh, a lot of uh, songs that we've reorganized to fit, you know, dancing standards for today. <laughs> so it sounds more like R&B and hip-hop than it does like swing music from 1930. So, and I, just as a pianist, I wanted to finally play for an audience that was was ready to dance. I mean, for all my years as a performer, I'd never played for a dancing audience. And so this was my, this is uh this is my, uh my great project that finally has me do it, and you know it's like comedy. When you go to see a comedy show, you're supposed to laugh at some point. So if you're <laughs> going to go see the Fat Waller dance party, you're supposed to dance at some point. So this is the this is the goal.
0: All right now, and I was reading yeah. when I was doing my my little research, I had to make sure I was I was polished and I was talking to such an esteemed musician. I saw mm-hmm. that uh, that you all did four performances in 2011 that were sold out.
1: Right, right. Yeah, that was a big success. That was uh part of the Harlem Harlem Jazz Festival. Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing to do. Uh and exhausting. I mean to play for people who dance, not to play for people who sit down. <laughs> 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 you know you your you DJs, yeah
0: want to announce to the listeners, especially if you're in the New York area, I would love for you to go check out the Fat Swallow Dance Party, which is July 28th at 4 p.m. at Amsterdam Avenue um, at 134th Street at at Annunciation Mm -hmm. Park. And again, it is being produced by um, Harlem Stage, so we definitely want to make sure that we're out and about supporting uh, this wonderful thing. Um, As we uh, wind down Uh, the interview uh a lot of times i like to talk about style uh because again Mm. there's usually people who are listening and and they might be performers now when sometimes when people talk about jazz music there's a misconception Mm. uh, that there's Mm. no structure or you know you just Mm. do everything where it Mm. happens talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on improvisation is it ever
1: too much well i mean you know jazz See, we have to look at the culture of jazz. Jazz is and blues and gospel music, these are songs, these are forms of music that are built on self-expression. Mm-hmm. And these are songs that were born out of a time when African-Americans didn't have as much self-expression as they needed and wanted. So through these songs, you were almost speaking in code to tell your story. I mean, many older jazz musicians while that I play with, as I'm playing, they'll just yell out to me, tell your story, you know, so... Mm-hmm say your song. So how do you do this? So what improvisation becomes is this kind of code in which you tell your life um, through different, various songs and through various sounds. So improvisation is, 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 is not jazz unless it has improvisation in it. Um, and each night you could perform in a different way. But we always, you know, are functioning off of some kind of blueprint about what the music is, uh, whether it's a blueprint that is actually a song form, A-A-B-A, or whether the the blueprint is we have 60 minutes to play, you know, so how much, what will we do in 60 minutes? I mean, all of these are structures, and over time, just as we learn, if I listen to a sonata form and have to learn it in classical, and finally hear where the form exists, it sometimes is hidden until we listen to the music more and more and more and how each soloist and how each musician in the band is also in a conversation and a dialogue with each other. It's a, it's one of the great forms, which is why it's, it's all around the world, because people want to be a part of telling their story, so the music becomes a journal
0: entry. Mm, that was wonderfully put. Um, just as we uh about to... Wind down. I certainly want to thank you for sharing this time with us. Uh, it's just been a, a treat to have you on. I want everybody to know that you can continue to follow Jason on his website at com, And certainly he's at the Kennedy Center, uh, so you can certainly go to the Kennedy Center website and check out all the appearances that he will make there. And um, just in closing, um, if you had a takeaway for a young aspiring jazz musician who was on this this, this road uh as as a career what would you maybe suggest
1: one is find the oldest musician that you can find and study with them that's one (laughs) and then two is listen 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 and then three is spend time in the shed as they say (laughs) you have to be practicing you have to be on that instrument if you love it it won't even feel like practicing it'll just be all learning and through that becomes the vast uh, the vast landscape of explorative music.
0: Mm, again, we've been speaking with Jason Moran, Artistic Advisor for Jazz at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. Jason, thank you so much for being on today.
1: My pet pleasure, Patrick. Thank you. Okay.
0: Again, listeners, that was Jason Moran, Artistic Advisor for Jazz at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. What a wonderful opportunity it was to speak with them again i would like for you all to check out jason uh at the fat swallow dance party this weekend july 28th four o'clock p.m at annunciation park in new york city this is being presented by uh harlem stage and it's going to also feature with him michelle and who is such a wonderful musician as jason moran said Again, I want to thank you all for joining me for this installment of the African American Voice in Classical Music. I am Patrick D. McCoy, the African American Voice in Classical Music, and I thank you for your support. You may follow me on Twitter at Patrick D. McCoy. You may also like my Facebook page, which is Patrick D. McCoy, the African American Voice in Classical Music. Again, I am Patrick D. McCoy, the African American Voice in Classical Music. I do want to wish you all a wonderful day.